Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante. He is T. Frank Carr. T. Frank, how are you doing this morning, sir? I'm doing good. It'd be better if I could uh, turn my mute off. We're off to a great start today. (laughs) (laughs) What's the problem over there, T. Frank? Uh, I mean, I probably could have gotten away with it, but I was sitting here and I had to clear my throat. So I hit the, the mute button and then I look over and you like, it's my turn to talk. And I look down and the mute is still on. So I was like, ah, mini panic in my head. But now that we've wasted 33 seconds on something that didn't happen, uh, we're off to a great start this week for me. So, uh, yeah, thank you for asking. We are, we are. And, and of course, I call, I say good morning and then have to explain to people who mostly on the radio hear the show in the afternoon at some point, or I'm sure when they do the podcast, it's not necessarily a morning. Morning just happens to be when we record our show. All right, let's move on, T. Frank. Let's talk Penn State football. We've been doing positional reviews the last couple of weeks. We need to finish that up with a couple interesting positions. We're going to the defensive backfield. We're going to talk safeties in quarter number one, then cornerbacks in in segment number two. Let's start with safeties, and let's start with what we're not going to be seeing in the 23 season, which is Jair Brown. And this is back-to-back years that Penn State has had a I'm going to, they're star safeties. We had Jaquan Brisker. Then we had Jair Brown. Jair Brown, like Brisker, is going to be moving on to the NFL. Uh, an exceptional player that Penn State's going to have to learn to do without. Yeah, he did a lot. And I think it was, so what, what made me go back and look specifically at this? So I was doing the roster resets for all of these positions, right? And, um, this is kind of a, a bit of a journey here. Um, the Manny Diaz defense, and I, I just to be honest and upfront with everybody, learning the entire thing throughout the course of the season when I'm not being taught it, like I have to teach myself what's going on while also doing my job and all those things. Certain things I just can't get to during the season. Like you don't absorb all this information. One of the reasons why I just want to always point out to people, football's really hard. Like there's a lot of intricate stuff in there. There's a lot of things you need to learn. So for young players who didn't have like advanced level coaching in high school, this is why it takes them a year and a half to like get it uh, because it's just a lot of stuff to absorb. So I sat down the last couple of weeks during the dead period here in February and I, I looked at the secondary a little more because A, it's hard always to watch because it's not on screen all the time. And B, it's just generally one of my weaker positions to really evaluate. And, and I, I think schematically, I understand things pretty well. But position to position, there's just always things you miss. And when I went back and watched the safeties specifically, um, Jair Brown did everything. He was everywhere for this team. And after the Rose Bowl, James Franklin had said this before, but during the postgame press conference, he said, I think this is the one of the best safeties in America and nobody's talking about him. And and Sean Clifford just like leaned into it. Right. And of course he's going to do that for his teammate, but 
they didn't say that about Jaquan last year, as you point out, that another really good safety. So when I went back and I looked, why is Jaquan, or excuse me, why is why is Tig getting all of this uh, praise from his coach and specifically being called out by his teammates for being exceptional? And it's because he played like four positions for the defense. So he started in the boundary. That was his main position. He moved over to fill in for Brisker in that boundary position. He played field the year before. So not only is he in a new defense, he's in a new position. And, you know, there's carryover in all these defenses, and that's understandable. But it is a new defense, and there are new responsibilities. So then, that was my idea for the spring. Like, in the spring ball, they had pretty firm designations on positions. You get fast-forward in the middle of the season, and he's playing both positions. He He's flipping back over, depending on who his teammate is, to that field side because Jalen Reed also is a boundary player, and they wanted him on the field. Now, those guys did play. Both of them played both positions quite a bit last year, but Tig Brown was playing it very well. And then you go to the third down uh, packages, and he was everywhere. He was an exceptional blitzer. I looked at the numbers, like after watching the film, he's one of the best blitzing safeties in America from last year, and we just really didn't talk about it. It's like, oh, yeah, he's good. He was like uh, elite pass rusher good on third down. He got pressure at that sort of rate. Uh, and then as a an underneath defender, he was the prowler in the prowler package where he was kind of a free defender reading the quarterback at times. And the only problem that Tig had was that there wasn't more of him to play at more of those positions on the same play. You had to choose where to put him. And uh, like just that hole that's being left by his presence is huge in the second year of this defense. And really the way that he played allowed them in a lot of ways to fill a lot of gaps in knowledge and understanding in the first year of this defense. So uh, I think he was, you know, you go back and you look at it and, and James Franklin is correct. Like his value was incalculable to the stability of that defense, the, the, the ability to give them um, time to develop and do a good defense. So, uh, you know, no one talked about it enough. I certainly didn't. He was very good for this defense. You saw him coming year with Brisker. You know, it, we knew he was going to inherit the mantle as the lead dog in the safety room. He was going to be that guy. That leads us to this year where it's not just a question of who's going to be the lead guy, but also who's, if anybody, is going to be capable of doing the many different things that you described. That's my segue into the 23 season, T. Yeah. Frank. Yeah. Uh, the good news is they are very talented at safety. So the young guys are super talented. The top end starters, we'll see. Um, Jalen Reed didn't take the step forward that I think a lot of people are expecting him to do as a, a playmaker. And um, I think his understanding of zones and his instincts and coverage weren't what we were expecting. I was expecting a much more instinctive player. Those instincts show up near the box. So that's why I think a lot of times going back and, and looking at the way they use TIG was they would use him in the field more than I expected. Now, like I said, both safety positions, it really the only guys that that had a hard designation and I would I, even they played in, in the boundary a little bit were Keaton Ellis and um, Zaki Wheatley. So those are my starting field safeties for this year, even though what usually happens is the veteran moves over into that boundary role and becomes that playmaker guy. Uh, I think because because Jalen Reed is there 
he's injured, and I know there's been some conversation about moving him down into the box, into that field Sam linebacker. I don't think the numbers dictate that they can do that unless one of the freshmen, King Mac or somebody else, steps in and becomes uh, like a really, really good field safety, and they feel comfortable moving Ellis over into the boundary because that's more of, I've described it as strong and free, but really it's, it's that's not really a great designation. Both players play at both levels of the field, the box and deep. It's more slot for the free safety, for the field safety. You play more over the slot and then more over the box. But that guy tends to also be the deep cover guy in responsibility on some passing plays. So you long story short, both both players have to be able to play deep free safety and other responsibilities within the defense. Uh, the versatility, that's why they move former corners over to that field position. I'm concerned about Wheatley in deep coverage, and uh, I just have some general concerns about uh, Keaton Ellis not being to the level of a second-round pick in the NFL and a probable late second-round pick in Tig Brown, depending on where he's drafted. So that's not a that's not a knock on him. It's just kind of a reality of you're not always going to have a first-round or second-round safety on your team. Um, so he's we got to figure that part out. But the youth... Um, Kevin Winston at that boundary position is super promising. And then Zaki Wheatley might be one of my favorites with his instincts and his courage to jump routes and, and gamble. I think as long as you can dial that in, he can be an exceptional player. How about um, Tyrese Mills? Is he a linebacker or a safety, T. Frank? So this is really interesting. Uh, at media day, he said he was a safety. Uh, but they're, he's listed as a linebacker on the depth chart. So that's one of those things we're going to have to get some clarification on of, is he a linebacker? Is he a safety? He missed last season, and that might be a clue in the conversation. Maybe he and Jalen Reed are switching positions. I, I That's a speculation on my part. I don't know, and that's going to be, this is one of the positions I'm going to be watching now uh, because I think as much as we kind of penciled it in as this is a strength of the team, Yes, it should be, but we have to figure out some of the depth and the competition and how it's all going to fit together. Well, speaking of depth, tell me more about the young players. King Mack, Dakari Nelson, highly sought after uh, uh, recruits. Where do they fit in? Well, <laughs> uh, I, I, I love Dakari Nelson. I just think that he is that player you're looking for. So his development curve is going to determine where he plays. He's 6'3", 195, and uh, he is like... he. I talked to him earlier this offseason. He said he ran a 4'4'7 at that size. So um, good speed for a safety. A, clearly a boundary to start. And then does he develop into a linebacker? And that you'll... I, if, you have, if you tell me that you have a 6'3 safety that can be 227 pounds and runs a 4'5", yeah, please. Yes and thank you. Um, if you have a safety that's 200 pounds that can run a four, four, that's also an extreme advantage. So his talent is exceptional. He played corner in high school. So he's bringing some man coverage skills to that position, which I think is invaluable wherever he plays, whether it's linebacker or safety. And then King Mac is, um, I compared him to Tyron Matthew undersized, he, but he'll stick you like he is a hitter. He is fearless and he's versatile. He can play slot corner. I think he could play uh, in the boundary if you needed him to, because he is he will he'll hit you hard. He obviously is not the biggest guy in the world, but uh, you know I'm projecting him to get bigger. He's got a good frame, um, maybe not the longest arms in the world for that reach, but you know field boundary. And if you have a third down package where he's the slot and or Sam linebacker, I wouldn't be surprised. 
So that versatility was awesome in this class. So that's where I would peg those guys to start is, you know, slot free for King Mac and then in the boundary for Dakari Nelson. Um, and then that is really the two deep behind the starters this year. Those are exceptional talents. Uh, T Frank, we're talking about the safeties being in the box. It also just feels like with Manny Diaz's defense, a little bit of that safety linebacker line is being yes. blurred. We saw that with Jonathan Sutherland moving. It's almost like there's not quite a solid line between the safety room and the linebacker room. So this is an area where, you know, it, this if we can continue this conversation a little bit in the next segment, I think it's really interesting because you bring up a great point. The thing I'll say is that I had an idea of what Manny Diaz's defense would be, but moving Curtis Jacobs over to that Sam position with Abdul Carter changed everything. And I think it showed an adaptability and something that I think I didn't take for granted again was a coach willing to change for their personnel. So there is that, but there's also more. Let it, let's pick up that conversation in segment number two. That's called a tease. Reason to come back and join us for our next quarter. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I am Jim Galante. He is T. Frank Carp. T. Frank, when we finished up quarter number one, I had asked you a bit about the line being blurred between safety and linebacker, and it really got us perhaps off course, but I think one of my favorite things in talking to you is getting off tangent <laughs> because right. it, it turns into more fun conversations, and I know you had more to say about that topic, and I think it's an important part of this Penn State defense, and it's an important part of what they do and who they are. Yeah, it's all uh, so radio is a highway, right? And like we do need to get to our destination eventually, but it's always awesome to pull off the highway and see the views. Like you need to every once in a while stop because that's the whole point of what we're doing here is that at least for me, it's the nuance. And we're talking about linebackers and we're talking about how um, that safety 
slash linebacker hybrid. We came into Manny Diaz's defense talking about that um, a lot. Like it was the main thing we talked about because Jonathan Southern was moving down and because it was different for Penn State fans and the tradition of LBU, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is not something that Manny Diaz decided to do recently when it comes to moving a safety type body into that position. Going back and watching years of his defenses, when he given the preference, he played a safety there. Sometimes he played a corner in that position on base down. So that's I'm not saying it was a slot corner. I'm saying first and 10, there's a guy that's 190 pounds out there that is, uh, you know, I would say is more of a corner than a safety playing that Sam linebacker role. So I took that as a rule that there was going to be a safety body there. And that was not a negotiable thing. But suddenly in the middle of the season, they adapted, got Abdul Carter on the field and moved Curtis Jacobs over to that Sam. If you listen to the way they talk about this group throughout the the time that they uh, recruited Abdul Carter with Manny Diaz, Mike linebacker kept coming up, right? Mike linebacker. He's going to move to Mike. He's going to move to Mike. He's going to move to Mike. Uh, eventually, maybe someday, but we want to get him on the football field. It's easier to put him at the will because there you can put him in in specific situations and he will have a specific role and not have to know everything like you do at Mike. But the more he played that position, the more they could give him, the more he became a guy that you could start. And that forced a conflict of one of your best defenders, one of your best leaders and a veteran in Curtis Jacobs. Do you split reps are they co-starters how do you do that and instead of moving abdul to the mic or forcing some bad situation they moved jacobs over to the sam and that was not nothing that was a big thing um so then the question becomes like in the future how does this work because the reason they were talking about abdul carter at mike is they wanted his body type at mike with that speed because traditionally in this defense it has been a safety over at that Sam linebacker position because of the responsibilities in coverage and because of the responsibilities in modern football. There are so many more things that happen in the, in the field all the way to the long side of the field that are not in the box and defenses generally have gotten better about uh, controlling the line of scrimmage and the box with fewer defenders, not forcing uh, seven and eight in there all the time. So you want to have a safety that has the ability to cover all that ground. And then they flipped on that. And and that to me, I think is a is a huge credit to Manny Diaz, but also then opens the question as to who's going to be at that position next year. Who's going to be at that at that Sam linebacker? Curtis Jacobs is going to be there. Uh, they're not moving Abdul Carter to the mic. So the safeties that we're talking about: Dakari Nelson, Tyrese Mills, Jalen Reed, uh, Dom DeLuca's there. He's staying there. That's the one thing we know about this situation. So what's that mix like? And I think the the exciting thing for a Penn State fan and what I've noticed about this defense generally, um, and this is kind of how I feel about the linebackers. We'll, we'll kind of go back to what we said about the linebackers. Sub packages are going to be the name of the game. So you want to get Jacobs and Carter on the field as much as possible. Last year is you had to have Tig on the field. You had to have uh, Jair Brown on the field. So he was going to be in a bunch of different roles as that sub package player. Who's that guy this year? Who's the guy you can't take off the field? And to me, the conversation then becomes about um, can you get away with playing Abdul Carter at the mic in sub packages so much that he's 35, 40 percent the starter. And then you have Curtis Jacobs over at the will. Then you can work in whoever you want at the safety, but you still have the flexibility to go back to your 
big base defense and play those linebackers wherever you want. So this team can, from one week to the next, look completely different. They have the personnel to go traditional to modern to somewhere in the between to safety to, you know, to three receivers and and playing with a slot quarter. That that's the beauty, I think, of what I've learned about Manny Diaz is he's willing to mix and match his personnel in games and sometimes within games within drives. And I think that's a, a real that's the creativity and the brilliance that makes him a great defensive coordinator and why he's such a coveted uh, person at his position. Let, let's continue down this path a little bit, uh, T. Frank, because it'll help us understand what's going on on the field. And it is difficult to understand. Off the air, we were talking a little bit about, you know, I'm trying to learn more about how the technical aspects of the game go. And what I'm, the, more, the more I find out, the more I find out how much I don't know. But looking at this Manny Diaz defense, it almost feels more, um, I use the comparison to basketball a lot. People will talk about players being, you know, one through five or the two guards, two forwards, the center. But you see Jalen Pickett on offense on Penn State's team playing with his back to the basket, you know, underneath, like you expect a four or a five to do. That seems to be the case with Manny Diaz's defense, so it's not just this hard and fast specific rule. I say all that, it leads me up to this question. When we see a sub package coming in where there's now only two linebackers, Mm -hmm. and it's Curtis Jacobs and it's Abdul Carter, is somebody called, is one of them considered the Mike linebacker at that point when you only have two linebackers? And you know, I see often it feels like um, Abdul Carter is now will be like right in the middle. So mm-hmm. I assume that's a middle linebacker, a Mike linebacker, where he's kind of the spy of the quarterback. At that yeah. point, is he playing middle linebacker? What's he playing? So that's uh, I'll I'll twist your brain a little bit further and say one of the things that Tig Brown did early in the season is on third down he was kind of playing the Mike linebacker role. So he that's what I'm saying. Like he did so many different things where he would drop in into what would be a traditional call. It's called the whole defender in the middle of the field. And he would play that Mike linebacker spy at times. And then Abdul kind of took over that role. And uh, you could have that versatility that either of them were the spy and either of them were the rusher. So that's why the defense had so much success last year is you couldn't pin them down as to who was playing what. Yes. When you got two linebackers on the field, the Mike position never comes off the field and the will position typically never comes off the field. The last one to come off is the Mike because he is the the play caller. He is the center point. He's like the center on the offensive line where everything kind of spins around him. The deep, the, the, the offense identifies the formation and their protections based off of who they believe the Mike linebacker is so they can do the strength of the formation defensively. So how it was typically last year, and this is the problem, is you've got two guys that can play Will. You're trying to figure out how is Penn State lined up here. Is is Abdul Carter the Mike or is he the Will? Especially on third down, it created a lot of confusion. It created a lot of uh, uncertainty. I would say, and this is going off the top of my head, I, I haven't studied it in depth enough, uh, aside from what I did during the season, like to give you a, a hard and fast rule. Abdul became more of that Mike player as the season went on on third down. Now, that doesn't mean he was calling the defense, but it does mean that he was out there 
performing that role, you know, as as the spy and as the guy that was the free player in a lot of the defense. And that's kind of how Manny Diaz's defense operates at times uh, in in certain calls on third down is you've got a free defender. You've got everyone else doing something, putting pressure on the quarterback. And then you've got one guy who is there free to read and react. And uh, at times it was Jair Brown, at times it was Curtis Jacobs, and at times it was Abdul Carter. And uh, the guys that I think played the best at that role and that that really you saw them shine, Abdul Carter as as a blitzer, you know, reading the quarterback as the spy. And then Jair Brown did that in coverage, reading the quarterback, disrupting lanes, forcing the ball to stay in the hands of the quarterback. And then you get sacks like in the Auburn game. Um, so that's kind of the problem is you, you, you mentioned it. it it's like an onion, you know, football, the more, you know, the more layers there are, but really it's a rabbit hole because you can go down one hole and then you make a right and you're in an entirely new conversation. And there's just so much, you can go so many different ways. So like there was no end to that answer, but I'm ending the answer now. Okay. Well, that's, that's, that's like this episode of our show T Frank. It's a rabbit hole that we're going down. I've made the, I'm calling a, a variable here. I'm calling an audible. We're switching. We'll have the cornerback conversation quarter number four. I'd like to continue down this rabbit hole where I'm calling it. This is my education and hopefully for our listeners also. What's the predator defense? Well, that's what we just described. That, that That's the it's having a third safety on the field to kind of read and react and play with instinct um, in order to get interceptions, sacks and havoc plays. So that's the idea is that you have this you have all this pressure on the quarterback and then the quarterback has to typically and this is this is where I think defenses generally are going or have uh, gone this past season is pressure is now the thing we're we're tired as defensive coordinators of five wide spread offenses where everyone can just pick and throw and we can't be right as often so now defenses are trying to dictate the terms and a guy that was at the head of that curve was Manny Diaz with in terms of these these really heavy blitz packages but as you saw in some of these defenses, like they'll play cover zero with like the, the Red Rover line of defenders five yards off the line of scrimmage. And, and but they will also back out of that and play zone underneath. And then another variation is they'll play a soft coverage and they'll play pressure and they're trying to predict where the hot route is. They're trying to predict where the quick throw is going to be and have a free defender to read the quarterback and then intercept or disrupt that pass. If you force that guy to hold the football You've got a free defender coming, so he's going to pace the quarterback and he's going to get a forced fumble or a sack or something like that. So, you know, kind of oversimplifying it. That's the idea of that defense is you have a third safety out there instead of a Mike linebacker who is not as good in coverage. So you have a guy out there who has the skills and the instincts to really take that role and make it something rather than having a guy out there you're trying to hide in coverage. And that's why I think kind of to spin this forward again, talk about the safeties again. I think Zaki Wheatley could shine in that position. One of the things he did so well at the beginning of the year was he he would gamble. He would go, oh, he would break his his assignment off and he would go to where he thought the football was going to go. He got away with letting guys wide open because the pressure was getting there and the quarterback wasn't good enough to see it. So he needs he needed to be more judicious about that as the season went on. And he was like, I think I think he learned a little bit more about the defense. He didn't make as many gambles, so therefore he didn't make as many interceptions, but he made fewer mistakes. So I think this next year for him, it's finding that balance and becoming that playmaker. And I think he can do that that prowler role, that predator role. 
Very good, T. Frank. It was fun going down the rabbit hole in quarter number two. Quarter number three, we'll take your questions. We're going to ask T. Frank. Stay tuned. Hey, guys. This is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante. He is T. Frank Carr. This is quarter number three, so that means it's time to take your questions and we ask T. Frank. Our segment is brought to you by 409tailgateclub.com. You know the place. They're the ones with the great barbecue sauces and the great barbecue rubs, including their new coffee barbecue rubs. Speaking of which, at the end of the segment, T. Frank will select the best question, and that questioner will win the prize pack from 409tailgateclub.com, which will include those new coffee barbecue rubs. T. Frank, my friend, are you ready for the questions? No, uh, because I think I know it's coming first, and I am not ready for it. But let's go. I am going to ask it anyway. This question comes from Steve in Columbia, PA. Steve remembers that you talked about Delaware last week, T. Frank. So, Steve asks, I have several cousins who graduated from the University of Delaware. They have never been to a Penn State game we're planning a trip up for the game between the Nittany Lions and the Blue Hens. Can you break down the strengths and weaknesses of the Blue Hens? I look forward to receiving my coffee barbecue dry rub for the best questions. Thanks in advance. See, you opened it up when you mentioned Delaware last week, T. Frank. Yeah, yeah, that was that was my mistake. No, I was so I, I was I was I figured this was coming. I was going to do some advanced scouting, and then I. Went on living my life, and I forgot to do it. So here we are. Who who is who was this question again? Sorry, I was still looking up stats furiously. <laughs> this is Steve from Columbia. Steve in Columbia. Thank you. Um, 
I'm not going to give you it right away, although this is a strong leader for embarrassing the uh, the expert in live on the show. Good defense so far from what I can tell, according to some PFF stats. Uh, you know, good run defense. I think they're probably a pretty uh, stout run defense. Looks like they run uh, three traditional linebackers. I, I'm going to just go ahead and guess that they run a, a three-man front just by the snap counts here. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I think they probably have a pretty good defense for their level in terms of uh, stoutness up front and the ability to stop the run. So Penn State uh, going to get a test, I guess. Uh, I don't know if any of these players have graduated. That's the other thing I was trying to figure out is the quarterback. I think he's a sixth year player in Nolan Henderson. I don't know if he's coming back or not. There is a tweet out there that he entered the transfer portal after the 2021 season, although he did play for Delaware last year. So apparently he did not transfer. Um, so I don't know if he has a year of eligibility left or not, but he's a decent football player. Uh, good passing metrics, nothing uh, exceptional. You know, I wouldn't say that this is an elite passer, he went in the portal and no other team wanted him. So there's a uh, there's a there's a little bit of a, 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 a clue for us there. The running game looks decent. You know, I think this is a decent team. I think it's a pretty good team off the off the bat. Looking at some just the the high level stuff that has absolutely no context. Seems like they have a productive football team and some good football players. Uh, so there you go, Steve in Columbia. There is your initial scouting report. <laughs> Delaware doesn't seem like they're bad at football. <laughs> we look forward to more in-depth Delaware talk as we go through this offseason, T. Frank. Let's move on to Sal and Erie, who says, there is definitely a feeling that this team is on the upswing. Certainly bringing in better players is reason number one. I feel like the coordinators are also a big reason. Do you agree? Yes. I do. I we just spent uh, a, a whole segment talking about Manny Diaz and his creativity. You, we, I've done it, and I I love talking about the creativity that you see from Mike Yursich. And again, evolution of he was a guy that in the Big Twelve and at Ohio State, what they run is a vertical passing attack. He was there as a passing game coordinator, where he's trying to dial up big shot plays. Uh, and he still has that aggressiveness in his offense, but his ability to adapt and evolve and use two tight ends, use motion, use formations, especially run formations to create opportunity, both for the running game and for the passing game. Like I really enjoyed watching his thought process last year as an offensive coordinator. The other thing that we talk about, uh, we don't talk about enough is play sequencing, running uh, a certain action on a play a couple times setting up another play running. Um, one of the things I liked the most that they did last year is they would run a toss and they'd run a toss and they run a toss and then they would run a counter with a toss on it. So like they're, they're running a different form. They're running a different scheme and making it look like what they had run before again, fooling the defense. And, and if you can, if you can eliminate the need to uh, pancake block by just making guys not be in the hole, they're supposed to be in, not be in their gap. That's the ultimate, like the coordinator did that and that the offense then gets explosive plays because of that. It just makes your job easier when you don't, when the offensive line doesn't have to be perfect on every play because you've set things up where the defense then fails. So yes, I think both coordinators are creative individuals that use their skills and use their personnel to their fullest. I don't know that we've seen them with the personnel they prefer. And that's where I think the interesting thing with the receiver converse, conversation, getting 
James Franklin talking about wanting elite wide receivers and being able to make one guy miss and go 80 yards. I think those are the modern analytically driven, but also just kind of logically driven things about football that Penn State had with Jahan Dotson at times and they had with KJ Hamler at times, but they haven't had like a true dominant force at that receiver position in a long time. And I'm always selling Jahan Dotson short. I, I'll be honest about that from a size perspective. He didn't have number one size, but he had number one skills. So finding that guy and finding a quarterback that can take advantage of those things. You know, I think from an offensive perspective, we haven't seen the best of Mike Gearsich yet because I don't think that they have reached that level of, of offensive talent yet. And they might, who knows? We'll see. And T Frank, I, I think it's a great trait for coaches who could adapt to the talent they have. We spent a segment talking about how Manny Diaz did that. Uh, we spent a segment a couple weeks ago here on this show talking about that T formation that Penn State ran, where guess what? They had two very good running backs on the field, and they had three very good tight ends on the field at the same yeah. time. That's making use of your talent. Let's go to Tony in Philadelphia. Tony says, being named Anthony Joseph, just like my father, led my family to call me AJ as I was growing up. So is T. Frank a name that your family or friends began calling you when you were younger or a non de plume? And what does your <laughs> and what does your wife call you when she is calling you to dinner? Keep up the good work. Signed AJ. Uh, so first off, I'm the cook. Uh, we break gender norms in this house. So I'm the cook. I call her to dinner and, uh, that's a whole nother conversation. Uh, no. So this is, this is, I think we've talked about this on the show before, but, uh, always good to I don't think so. No. Okay. Um, so, uh, my first name is Thomas Frank and that's polysyllabic like Anthony Joseph. And it's just inconvenient for other people, especially old dudes refuse to say full names. I've, I've noticed like all the people that called me Tom growing up were a cert of a certain age and demographic. Um, I, I, I hated that. My dad was Tom, so I did not, I did not go by Tom, uh, not a junior though. So my first nickname was TF and that was my brother-in-law nicknamed me TF. Uh, but like people in my family, my wife, they call me Thomas Frank. When I got to college and uh, I got to my first class, which if you if you've been in state college, uh, you lived in state college, a guy who's a, a legend in in town, uh, Jeff Brown. He's a morning show host on, on the classic rock station. He was my one of my first instructors at Penn State and then later became my coworker when I went into radio. He read my name and said, I am never, ever calling you that ever again. That is way too long. So by the next <laughs> class, I was T Frank. And and then it became, yes, it became my non de plume where that was my uh, radio name. My professional name is T Frank, just because it's easier and, you know, like it's it's catchy. Right. Um, and again, Jeff, a man of a certain age, shortened that down to just T. And uh, and that's also, by the way, what James Franklin calls me when we when we interact during press conferences. I'm just I, I'm T. So uh, I go uh, T. Frank is what I go by. But Thomas Frank is my first name. And uh, I have a I have a, as a side effect of this conversation, which has gone on way too long already. I have a crippling anxiety about introducing myself to people because no matter what I say, it's confusing. So I never remember anyone else's name. Like the whole conversation is just focused on what do I call myself to this person? And like, I don't have an identity crisis. I just have this confusion of what's going to be the thing that gets us through this the quickest. 
uh, and uh, and I never remember anybody's name. So if I see you in public and I've met you before and I don't remember your name, it, it's not you. It is absolutely me, and I apologize. By the way, when you started to talk about a teacher talking to you, I just had visions in my head of the skit A.A. Ron. <laughs> yeah, I was A.A. Ron, yes. All right, let's go to Mark in Lewistown who says, you previously talked about Jordan Vandenberg being one of your favorite players. I do remember that, T. Frank. Mm -hmm. What other under-the-radar players on this year's team is one of your favorites? Mm. Jim, same question for you. Uh, that's a yeah. Uh, so I don't know if he's under the radar anymore, but Amin Vanover staying on the defensive line, I think is highly disruptive. Um, and I think he flashed great potential last year. Uh, oof. A lot of the guys are just young. You know, the problem is like a lot of these guys are super talented now and have really high profile ratings. So it's not like they're the, you know, really quietly good. It, they're they're just kind of they their turn hasn't come yet. Uh, I I guess under the radar, JB Nelson might be a guy that's a little bit under the radar. Let me see quickly if there's a receiver that I'm not thinking of right now um, that's under the radar. Not nah, not really. We know everybody. So I, I guess those would be the guys. I guess those would be the guys. Well, since he asked me, I'm going to throw out a couple names. You were looking for a receiver. And sometimes these favorite players, they are not necessarily – uh, the best players or you're predicting them to break out they just yeah. happen to have some traits that you like i saw liam clifford's film and i don't know if it was just he was the little brother so i expected a little guy and then i saw him play he was bigger and more physical yeah. than i thought he would be so i like that i like daquan hardy maybe it's my size but i like these undersized players who perform yeah. and i'll throw one out another one out tyler warren um, I, yeah, I know he was the th third string tight end, but there was something about the guy I liked. I thought he could make plays. The fact that yeah. he played quarterback in high school, I thought there and still do think there's some abilities there that haven't been totally exploited yet. Somebody on my show, I think last year when we had this conversation is like, we talk about these guys all the time. Who's who's under the radar anymore? We're, everyone's on the radar. Those are some really great answers. I guess the other guy I talk about again, another four star prospect that is going to have a big role. This is key Wheatley. I've been a huge fan of his skill for a while, so I, I think he's going to be a guy that blows up this year. It's fun to look at those kind of players. All right, T. Frank, that's it for quarter number three. Stick around quarter number four. T. Frank will tell us our winner. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. 
StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. We headed to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim. He's T. Frank. That's T. Frank, okay? Shortened up for Thomas Frank. Y'all got that straight? And to make it more confusing, there is no hyphen with Thomas Frank, but there is with T. Frank. So just don't try. Don't try to understand it. It doesn't make any sense. I'm just going to start calling you T. Jeff Brown is a good friend of the show. Jeff, you had it right. Just call him T. All right, we need a winner from our Ask T segment. Oh, but it doesn't roll off the tongue as well. Uh, Sal and Erie. <laughs> no, it does. Shout out to Erie. Uh, the coordinator right. conversation. I know Stephen Columbia, like he had a good question, but Sal, I feel like that was a really good meaty question that kind of was on the theme of the show too, like talking about things that are beyond the obvious in football. And I think Penn State has, and I would call this the 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 right word to to describe the coordinators. They're both creative. And when you have guys that aren't just creative and making up good plays, but also knowing when to call them and having an instinct for the position, uh, I think Penn State's got two good ones. And again, it's it's all about making it work now, right? So like they've got all the pieces in place. They've got everything you need. Do they have the quarterback? Can they make the run? And we'll see. Like it's exciting because they, they have so many good things going for them. And we got an entire offseason to talk about it. Steve from Columbia, my suggestion to you is Keep sending in your questions about Delaware. You're going to break T. Frank down here one of these weeks. Or just break me. <laughs> just <I'll> be broken. <laughs> I can see it uh, next week we have this discussion about uh, uh, who's their strong side linebacker, who's their will, do they yeah. adjust them. It'll be fascinating <laughs> conversations. We'll get into Blue Hen conversation. All right, T. Frank, it was delayed from segment number two. We're going to do it in quarter number four. We're going to go through our positional review at quarterback. Now, the similarity at cornerback to safety is that lead dog has moved on. Joey Porter Jr., he's going to be a first-round draft pick. If there's a difference at cornerback, we kind of know who that next guy is who's going to be the man. That's Kalen King, right? Yeah, yeah. And I would I would go beyond just knowing who the lead guy is, and I'd say that we know who the starters are, like because at the end of the season, Joey Porter Jr. didn't play. So we know Kalen King and Johnny Dixon are the starters, and we know what that part of the defense looks like, and it looks pretty damn good. So uh, the, the thing I'll say is kind of talking about uh, the cornerback position in the same way as the, as the safety position. It's, it was different. So the safeties would flip based on uh, field and and, and uh, boundary, right? But the corners stayed on their side of the field. 
And this took me forever to, again, another thing of like learning the secondary. I was going into some of the data. I was trying to understand, okay, so how does this defense work? They play left and right, but they do it in a way that's different. It's not offensively aligned. It's not to the the offense and the offense is left or right. They just pick left and pick right and they go with it. Um, And the guy, and the the reason I bring that up is the guy who didn't move off his side of the field was um, Kalen King. So Joey Porter Jr. and Kalen King stayed on their sides of the field. And Johnny Dixon would flip between the two. He'd flip between left and right. So I don't, I think the way you phrased it is correct, where Kalen King is what we're building off of. Like last year, Joey Porter Jr., that's what we're building off of. And now you bring in Storm Duck, and I think he'll be another guy that can flip between both positions. You know, his skill set, what he brings to the table, I thought maybe they would want to go more field and boundary um, because they've got physicality and they've got speed. But the more I looked at it, it's just it's just left and right. And um, I think it makes it easier for the for the defense to, like, have guideposts and not have to think as much about that at corner. And then it allows guys like um, Dixon and King to or I'm sorry, Dixon and Duck to flip between those two and, and play and not have a ton of difference between the two positions. Tell me about Storm Duck, who's coming in at, from the transfer portal. Physical. Uh, good speed, good all-around football player, and uh, a smart player. He's everything you want in a grad transfer. He's a guy that is going to not require a lot of refinement. He's going to require some physical refinement and some more resources at Penn State that he would not have at North Carolina. And also, like I just described the defense, a little bit simpler, a little bit easier, and not as... Uh, I felt like watching him, the North Carolina defense was trying to do everything so that they they weren't really good at anything. Um he also played in the slot a little bit, so he could be another guy if you wanted to bring some size down into the slot. He's uh, 200 pounds, um, six foot 200. He's almost like for this defense, he's a safety, but he's got cornerback abilities, good overall physical profile. The way I uh, described him when I uh, did his scouting report is he's a B plus at everything. And when you are looking for a third corner, I think he maintains the standard that Penn State has among their starters. And that was something that was very important. You saw last year and the three guys that played, they all had a certain standard of play. And Johnny Dixon probably was the third among that group, but he was still good enough to be a quality starter. And now they bring in a guy to replace him. And I think that is, is pretty clear how they're going to, I think they will be pretty, I, the, the young guys will play. But when crunch time comes, these three are the guy going to be the guys in the rotation, and that's going to be how it is. And the other part of this, and he's a sort of kind of starter, is Daquan Hardy. He's the yeah. slot cornerback. I imagine he's going to stay there. He's not going to go into the regular cornerback rotation. So he did play on the boundary a little. I'm, I'm sorry, the perimeter of the defense, because that can get confusing. The perimeter of the defense, he played that outside corner a little bit, you know, kind of in garbage time. So he does have an outside alignment designation, but he is their slot corner. His was, a, I think we all watched this last year. His was a roller coaster of a season where, I mean, he was specifically targeted on every third down for about three games. So there was a little bit of having to change his role within the defense, having to change what they wanted the defense to be. He went to a little bit more zone rather than just straight up man to man in the slot. The curious thing is, Daquan Hardy has the feet to do that. So the the challenge of the slot, and this is where he got into trouble, is you have what's called a two-way go. The corner can go, or the, the receiver can go inside or outside. 
And the way Manny Diaz's defense was working at the beginning of the season is like, I don't want to call it hollowed out because like it was intentional, but when you're blitzing that much and you're bringing that many guys to the line of scrimmage, there's a lot of pressure to protect the middle of the field if you're a corner. So he was biting on inside moves because he didn't want to have a guy running free across the middle of the field. But teams were just, you know, given a head fake inside getting outside and they were getting 20 yards of completion on the slot. So he was not handling that two way go particularly well. So they they de-emphasized that part of the defense and they went to a little bit more of a zone combination. He dropped into some even safety roles and rotations at times. Um, so that is going to be interesting to see. Like, does his confidence bounce back? Because to me, it was only a confidence issue. It was the first year in the defense. I think he felt a certain pressure to perform. I do think, you know, from having heard some comments and talking to him a little bit, I think he wants a bigger role in the defense. And, you know, the last two seasons, he's only come in on third down. Like he has not been on for many running plays. So with the sub package nature of this defense, that slot corner position got a little bit de-emphasized with Dixon condensing in because he's a great blitzer. He's going to be the next guy to see if like, does he take that? Um, I don't think he'll be Tig Brown, but can he be effective like that in pass wrestling situations? Because he was last year. Can but they, you know, is he going to step up there? But also, is he going to play on the inside in multi receiver formations? Because that was another thing is both he and Hardy would be on the inside at times playing uh, in a dime defense, essentially, where you have five defensive backs. So there's a lot of different ways that position morphs, I guess. So Hardy is a part of the picture. And I think his play is going to determine how big of a part of a picture. And, and again, going back to the conversation of Tig Brown is no longer there. Who's going to fill in these sub packages and what are the sub packages going to be? There is a bit of a clean slate now and you can go and, and uh, make your case the spring that I'm going to be the slot corner and we're going to go three cornerbacks or four cornerbacks on a regular basis because I'm good enough to do that. You, I'm glad you brought up the blitzing aspect of it because both Johnny Dixon and Daquan Hardy, it seemed like they came a pretty lot of times. They blitzed. Yes. Yeah. When um, Johnny Dixon did it, you mentioned him playing inside in the slot corner. Is that where he was blitzing? So when I say I noticed both Hardy and Dixon blitzing a lot, were they blitzing from that same position or was it from the typical peripheral cornerback position? I, uh, I they were lined know. up they were lined up on the line of scrimmage, like outside linebackers. And that's where then it becomes the semantics of, are they an outside linebacker or based on their role? Uh, Dixon sometimes dropped into a flat defender role with a corner over top. So was that corner a safety and he's a corner or is he a linebacker in this particular situation? And is the corner behind him in that zone blitz situation? Again, that's the, the, does it matter differentiation? But that's also the semantic philosophical thing that is in, enjoyable for people who really love the nerdy part of it to have that conversation. But those guys were both interior, like the Joey Porter Jr. was out there. So you, I would call both of them slot corners at that point. Mugged up is what you call it, like where they're outside linebackers, they're in that blitz formation, and then they drop and then they reveal their assignment through their actions. Tell me quickly about the next generation. Cam Miller, who... I believe he burned his red shirt last year. Yep. And then you have the newcomers, Lamont Payne, Zion Tracy, Elliot Washington. Uh, so Cam Miller. Yeah, Cam Miller is a, is a good football player. Um, I'm still learning more about him. And again, corner is hard because, you know, I, I've said it's one of the harder positions, especially in high school to scout because it's a high school offense and it's a high school quarterback. And 
even in college, what you do for the most part is not get thrown at. Most of your snaps, you don't see activity. So it becomes a very physical um, evaluation when it comes to the positional skills. Hardy, uh, I'm sorry, uh, we're talking about Cam Miller now. Cam Miller has those skills. He's six foot. He needs to get a little bit bigger. Uh, that was his jo- his job last year is to get a little bigger and stronger. He's listed now at 178 pounds. I think he needs to be like 185, 190 when he's all said and done. Great athlete. Um, and then Elliot Washington is built a little bit like Storm Duck. He's 5'11", 190 right now. He's a tank, and he is fast. I really like watching Elliot Washington play. I think he's going to be a part of the conversation this year, and I think he's going to be somebody who who gets, uh, maybe he burns his red shirt as well. Um, just because I think his talent, his physical talent, is on par with the guys that are already here. A little bit raw because he played a very specific system in high school where he wasn't asked to do a lot of the things he's going to do at the next level. And then you got uh, Zion Tracy, who is older, and is another great athlete, but has not played a lot of corner. Played receiver a lot. Played receiver for uh, St. Thomas More. And then uh, I, j- I just think he's going to be a guy that maybe plays on special teams, but I don't see a role for him right now because he's pretty raw. And then finally, Lamont Payne is a safety, most likely. Just because, you know, I played corner in high school. He's got a good body versatility, but I don't know that he has the same athleticism as the guys they added after him in the class. Very good, T. Frank. That is going to have to be the last word. It was a fun show. We got through our positional reviews. We did a little bit of detour in quarter number two. No problem with that. I hope you all enjoyed the show. Thank you for listening. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Hey, guys. This is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love.